we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Welcome those that are online. I know we have an inordinate amount of people right now in our community that have COVID or this is you know, real heavy dose of the flu or just some really major stuff going on. And, and I know you're at home and I just want to let you know you're welcome. I'm so glad for this miracle of technology. I hope you feel connected to be a part of us and your church family is praying with you. Whether you're near or far, we just want to welcome you. Get out your Bible and your nose. So thank you for joining us. And if you are here in the house, I ask you to do the same thing. Uh, get your Bible, get your notes, and want to welcome you as well. And say so thank you for venturing out in the cold this morning and being here. We hope you're warmed up a little bit. I think the band did a great job warming us up and getting us ready here uh, for just what God word has to say. Uh, we are in a series uh, we're calling Love Language. I think it's appropriate that this weekend, that is Martin, the weekend we remember the legacy of Martin Luther King, um, because he was all about love. Uh, the week before he died, he preached a message called the Drum Major Instinct. I encourage you to check it out. It's called the Drum Major Instinct. And in that message, the week before he died, it was prophetic. He talked about his funeral and what he wanted to be said at his funeral. And he said, I want nothing to be mentioned of my achievements or any of my awards. I would just like for it to be said, this one sentence, Martin Luther King tried to love somebody. God, we, we come before you to praise you, to worship you, to declare that you are God and we are not, but also to acknowledge, God, uh, we need some help. Uh, we, we need help in really learning how to love one another. We need help in understanding, God, how to love people in such a way that they know they are loved. They experience your love, and they also experience God's love from us. So, God, this thing that we have called relationships is so complicated, it's so challenging, and our sinful nature gets in the way, and sometimes it's very problematic. And sometimes we get hurt, sometimes we are wounded, sometimes there are so many gaps that relationships get strained and they get in trouble. Not just in, in our marriages, God, but with our family, with our kids, with grandkids, with our neighbors, with our boss, with our co-workers. And so we need some help. Because it is our prayer that one day, when that day comes, God, and our body is laid to rest, and we have breathed our last, that somebody would say of us that we tried to love somebody. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, I, I was introduced to someone several uh, years ago who was uh, struggling with this thing called love, and he, he, he wanted to tell someone that he loved them, and he was just couldn't get the words out, and finally it happened, he just wanted to tell me, he was so excited, he had to tell me the whole story. He finally got to a point where he could say those three little words. You know those three little words that some men just have a hard time having come out of their mouth. I mean, finally, that special someone, he said, I love you, and he got in the story, he said, Pastor, I got to tell you, it was so exciting. He said, I was standing here, and she was standing there, go to this big old rigmarole story, and I didn't know. I did not know what a response would be. I hope what a response would be, but I didn't know, and finally I said, I said, oh, I love you, and Pastor, you're not going to believe it. 
She said it back. She said it back, I love you too. I could not believe it. I mean, it just blew my mind because this woman, she is so beautiful. She is so smart. She is so out of my league. And I could not believe that she said those words, I love you. I didn't know, but now I know. And now I know I'm going to be with her forever. I mean, I'm for her and she's for me. He's going on and on and on. So I said, I love you. And she said, I love you too. And I said, I love you. And he said, she said, I love you back. So I said, I love you again. And we just went back and forth and back and forth. It was incredible. But I knew I had to leave. I had to go back to my apartment. So I left, I got into my car, and I sat there, and I felt so alone. So I just called her, and I said, I love you. And she said, yeah, I love you too. And so we just sat there for another few minutes, just back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth. And uh, Pastor, can you believe it's so crazy that two people our age would just babble like that? And I said, yeah, I've seen it a lot. The power of falling in love. It's so incredible. We just do some goofy things when that happens. When you have this experience of falling in love, it it is so powerful. All you want to do is talk about the person that you're falling in love with. Now, we're in this message series. We're talking about the love languages. And last week was about saying the right words or words of affirmation. And when you're falling in love... All you want to do is pass out words of affirmation about this person that you've fallen in love with. And that's true in the Bible. I mean, it happens right here in the Bible, too. Over here in chapter 4 of this this book called The Songs of Solomon, it goes like this. Uh, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful you are. Your eyes behind your veils are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Don't get excited, ladies, too much. Descending from the hills of Gilead, your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, come up from the washing. You got a great dentist. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is so lovely. Your temples behind your veil, they're like the halves of a pomegranate. And your neck, oh, it's like the Tower of David built with courses of stone. On it hangs a thousand shields. All of them, shields of warriors. Your breast, I'll stop right there. That's getting a little steamy. I'll, I'll, I'll just go down to verse 7. It says, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. That's the classic expression of someone who's falling in love. There is no flaw in you. I know theoretically that there's no such thing as a perfect person. And the fact that you've had three jobs in eight months is probably more than you just like variety. But I got to tell you, the way my pulse races and the way my heart beats and the way my mind sings when I see you or I think of you, it is inconceivable to me that we would ever not get along. It's inconceivable to me that we can never, ever, ever not make each other happy. This falling in love experience is so powerful. It's like being on performance enhancing drugs. I mean, you just, there's another story in the Bible in the book of Genesis where a man named Jacob fell in love with a woman named Rachel. And the dad could see that Jacob was so in love with Rachel, he could take advantage of him. And it says in the scripture that, okay, you can marry her after you work for me for seven years. 
And it says right here in Genesis 29, verse 20, so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Seven years felt like days. How many of you men have ever fallen in love and felt like that? Dudes, I'm helping you. Raise your hand. I'm just saying, if you would raise your hand right now, uh, even if it's not true, I would encourage you. Some, some of you men are just slow. Some of you men, I'm trying to help you. You can't even see it, right? I mean, this, this, man, when, you, when this experience of falling in love is just so powerful, it's just, and here's what I've noticed, is that when you and I love, the Bible tells us these are the things you do when you love. When you have agape love, these are the things that you do. And the Bible's very clear on it. But I find it so interesting that you and I resist this so often. And yet when we're falling in love, we do it naturally. It just kind of happens. So, such as, here's, here's some examples. Uh, the Bible says uh, to comfort one another. Sign me up, baby. I'll comfort you all night long. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's not a problem. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be glad to comfort. I'll be glad to comfort you. Hey, hey uh, honor one another above yourself. I'll open your door anytime. It's my honor to open the door for you. Uh, no, do not complain against one another. <laughs> I have no complaint. <laughs> You're just awesome. <laughs> there's, no, there's no way I could even think about complaining uh, about you. Uh, serve one another. I lay awake at night dreaming of ways I can serve you. I mean, I, I just, I, all I want to do is, is, is serve you. Uh, bear with one another. Oh, there's nothing with you that has to be bearing. It's just, it's just, it's just easy. It's, it's not bearing to be around with you. Uh, be devoted to one another. Oh, I'm devoted. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll show you devotion. Um, greet one another with a holy kiss. I don't know what that means, but I'll try. And I'll just keep on trying. I just, I'll, I'll just, just practice that. I'll work on that. Isn't that amazing? That the things that are so natural when you're falling in love are so hard and we're so resistant in other seasons of our life. The condition of falling in love is so powerful. It seems like my old egocentric, self-centered, self-preoccupied, self-serving self has died. And I have become a new creation that nobody recognizes. For a while, I'm like a noble person. I'm like the Mother Teresa of love. But it doesn't last. Relationships aren't that way. If you're taking notes, in your notes, number one, falling in love does not save me from sin. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can save me from my sin. Gary Chapman, the author of this little book we're referring to, The Five Love Languages, he says this, his actual research shows that this falling in love experience has a lasting time of about two years. And this temporary emotional obsession with another person will not create permanent transformed character in anyone. Because after a while, if you get married, reality sets in. Somebody does not put the toilet seat in the right position. Somebody doesn't get the dishes all the way to the dishwasher, much less the kitchen. 
somebody puts a jug in the refrigerator with nothing left in it because they're too lazy to get it to the trash. And all of a sudden, reality sets in. There's a major difference between falling in love and growing in love. And the Bible doesn't command us to fall in love. The Bible commands us to grow in love. But some of us have fallen prey to the myth that we learn on romantic comedies and reality TV, so-called reality TV. That if you have not had a falling in love experience, you have not yet experienced your full salvation. That you do not understand what being a human being really is. But the Bible doesn't teach that at all. The Bible talks about growing in love, not falling in love as your salvation. Over here in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, that great chapter that's used so much to talk about relationships, particularly the relationship of marriage. And in the opening chapters, verse 1, the apostle Paul says, follow God's example. The scripture says God is love. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk, walk in the way of love. Walk in it, walk in it, grow in it, walk in it, just as Christ loved us. And he gave himself for us. See, we can't even know how to love until we understand that God loved us first. First. And we grow in that, who he who gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Grow in that love, not fall into it. The Apostle Paul, over in Romans chapter 13, he talks about the law. He says the entire law, and some of us are confused. We think the entire law, particularly that of the Old Testament, is a bunch of rules, a bunch of harsh rules to keep you from doing stuff. And that's not what it's about at all. The Apostle Paul says the entire law and all the prophets are summed up in one truth. One truth. It's for the purpose that you would love one another as I have loved you. That is all. That is it. And this kind of love, this is the kind of love that is powerful. This is the love that transforms a person's life. This is the word love that brings about character transformation. And you don't fall into it, you grow into it. And this is love is so powerful. The disciples had to find another word for it. So they found this word, they called it agape. We talked about this last Sunday, last weekend a little bit. The word agape. And that word agape means literally that I'm going to work and will for the good in the other person. It's a condition, it's a state of being. It involves my emotions, but it's not a feeling. Love like this is not a feeling. It involves my will, but it's not something I choose to do. It's not something I have to think, okay, I'm going to be loving in this situation. It's not I force my will. It's a natural thing that happens within me because I'm growing in it. It just naturally flows out of me. It's a part of who I am. 
That is the agape love that's powerful, that transforms lives, and that saves us from sin and creates a different character that lasts forever, not another human being. Now, I hope in this series you are doing the life steps. If you're new to Pathway, you've been around for a long time, you stopped doing them perhaps. Every day we give you a scripture. Day one, day two, day three, day four, just a short little scripture with a couple little sentences and a short little prayer to help you in your 10 or 15 minutes in your morning time with God. You can add that, and then you can do other things if you want. But I want to encourage you to really do that and consider doing it with some other people, uh, with the, someone you're dating, with your spouse, with your kids, with somebody, because we're walking you through what we're doing on the weekend to kind of take it a little bit deeper to practice it. And part of this, I'm hoping you're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 often. Even if it's not in your life step, to read 1 Corinthians 13 every week at least once. Particularly those first three verses. And we kind of sum these first three verses up like this last week. Can you put this on the screen? That everything minus love, and this is straight from 1 Corinthians 13. Everything minus love equals nothing, but nothing plus love equals everything. I mean, it is everything. And so what we're doing here as a church, we are trying to grow in our understanding of what it is to love. That's who we are as a church. If you're new here, let me tell you who we are and who we're not. We're not just about getting smarter for the purpose of getting smarter. There are a lot of folks who just want to be smart and know a bunch of stuff from the Bible. That's not who we are. We are not about a church who wants us to have, we got to have the perfect doctrine and we're going to make sure you know the right doctrine and our doctrine is right and that church's doctrine is wrong. It's more than something just about doctrine has its place, being smart has its place. We are not about deciding who gets to come in and who doesn't come in. Who's close to God and who's far from God. Who's right and who's wrong. That is not our job to do. Only God can do that. It is not for us to be the judge of who gets in and who gets out. Our job as a church, as a body of Christ as a church, just to learn how to get better at loving people the way Jesus did because that was the essence of his life. That's who we are. That's what we're about. So we're in this little book called The Five Love Languages. That's what we're walking through. And the whole core idea of this book is this is that the way you love someone may not be the way they receive love. That we all don't receive love in the same way. And if I'm really going to have a meaningful relationship with anyone, someone that I'm dating, someone that I'm married, even my kids or my grandkids, I have got to know their love language. And hopefully they will learn to come mine, know mine. Now last week, I need to say something about last week before we get on to this week. Last week we talked about the love language of speaking the right words. Some people's love language is just words. Words of affirmation, the right words said at the right time has a huge impact, is gold in somebody's life. And I had this message primarily from ladies this week. Pastor, I was there, my, my husband was there with me in, in, during the message, and I even told him, would you please tell me that you love, he never says I love you. He never says the words to me, I love you. And I said, why don't you tell me? Why don't you say I love you? And he says, all of them were about the same, different ways. Said, well, that's just not who I am. Let me go back, man. Let me repeat this. Agape love is not about who you are. It's about who they are. I'm willing and working for the good in their life. I want them to experience love for me. And so that means me saying I love you, even if my way of speaking and communicating love is not through words. If you have to, men, write it down on a piece of paper, look at them, and read it. 
even if it seems fake and contrived to you, because that's not who you are, that's who they are. Get off the fence, men. Figure it out. That's all I'm saying. Now, before I get into this week's language, I want to say this about it. I think this week's love language, ignored by people, does more damage to a marriage and destroys more families and causes more kids to grow up to be dysfunctional adults and stagnates and ends friendship more than any of the other love languages. And it's the gift of time, the gift of quality time. So let's define what quality time is in your notes. Chapman, he helps us with this in his book. Quality time is giving up my undivided presence. It's giving someone my undivided presence, my full attention, my whole self. That's quality time. My undivided presence, my full attention, my whole self. Chapman puts it this way in his book. I love this little statement. This is so true. I don't mean sitting on the couch watching TV together. I mean taking a walk or going out to eat and looking each other and talking. Have you ever noticed when you go into a restaurant, it's easy to determine who is married and who is dating? The married people are kind of looking around the restaurant, looking for a QR code to find the menu if they don't have a hard menu. They're checking to see if there's anybody there in the restaurant they know they can talk to. The dating couple, they're just locked in eyeball to eyeball. Sometimes they're sitting right next to each other and they're holding hands. But they're having a conversation back and forth. And the dating people, the married people, or they have their phones and they're just checking out stuff all over the phone. Facebook, texting. Isn't that amazing? And yet, one of the most powerful gifts you can give to someone is quality time with him. And the master of this was Jesus. I, I don't know if you believe in Jesus. I don't know what you believe about his identity, about whether or not he's a, he's a real guy that died on the cross and God raised him from the dead. But historical reality is this. Whether you believe in his divine or not, I promise you, history records that Jesus understood the power of giving people close to him quality time to be fully present, paying fully attention to him when he was with them. Such as the woman at the well of Samaria. The disciples thought he would have no time for her. He would have no time for her because she was of the wrong gender and she was of the wrong tribe. She was of the wrong ethnicity. She was of the wrong religion. And yet when you read the Bible, Jesus gave more time. The longest conversation in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is with this woman that nobody else would give any time of day for. And it changed her life. The time he gave her changed her life. Little children. The disciples all the time would see Jesus busy. He's doing busy doing grown-up stuff. And little kids would run up to Jesus. And they would just know he would have no time with them. Get the kids back, right? They're very low on the totem pole. But what did Jesus say every time? He said, no, let the little children come unto me. I have time. I will give them the time. Then there's that little nobody-like little runt of a guy, tax collector. Nobody liked this dude. Nobody gave him any time. His name was Zacchaeus. So much so he climbed a tree when he saw Jesus coming. 
And Jesus walks up to him. He looks up the tree. He says, hey, Zacchaeus, I want you to come down. And notice what he doesn't say. He does not say, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree and clean up your act now. He says, Zacchaeus, come on now. I'm going to your house. I want to sit at your table. I want to meet your family. I want to spend time with you. Most powerful place, though, we, we learn from Jesus. The main place we learn from Jesus, well, what it is to give someone quality time is with his disciples. That little small group of 12 people, that, that little group of 12, that just kind of grew over time to become what this thing is called the church. That was his story. That's his little family that gave birth to our little family, even today called Pathway Church. And there's one little verse in the Bible. It's over here in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. It's kind of a hidden little verse. You may have read it many times, but you just kind of blew through it. But we have missed the profundity, the power of this verse. Verse 14, we'll put it on the screen. He appointed 12. Jesus appointed 12, those disciples, those apostles, that they might be with him. And how often were they with him? It turns out a whole lot. They were with him uh, when he taught. They were with him when he traveled. They were with him when he worked. They were with him when he ate. They were with him when he rested. They were with him when the crowds loved him. They were with him when the crowds left him. They were with him. He was with them. All the time. He was with them. He was not always happy with them. And he didn't always try to make them happy. And sometimes because they were with him, his work got harder. Have you ever noticed, parents, grandparents, have you ever noticed that sometimes your work gets harder when your kids are with you? But just because they made his work harder, Jesus didn't stop being with them. When it was just the 12 of them and nobody else from the very beginning, it was just 12 and Jesus, till the very end, when it was the whole world, the whole weight of the world upon his shoulders. You think you're busy? You think you got decisions to make? You, got, you think you have responsibility? When he got to the end of his life and the very weight of the whole world and the salvation of all humanity on his shoulders, the Bible says he never stopped being with the disciples, he always had time for them. Why? Because he understood the transforming power of being with someone, being fully present, fully with them, and then experiencing you in the fullest nature, it could change their life. So, here's what we're going to do. I want to give you three quickly, three lessons, as quick as I can, from the life of Jesus that he had with his friends, and I'm going to ask you to have this love language of time to apply it to your life. And here's what we, we get, three, three very simple things. Here's letter A, love makes my top relationship my top prime priority. Love understands very, something very important. Here's how you spell love, T-I-M-E. You want to find out where someone's heart is, you follow their time and you'll find their heart. People give their time to what they love. Time is a limited commodity. Time is invaluable. You can make more money, you cannot make more 
time. Several years ago, I was introduced and connected to a guy I never had met before. He was not a part of this church. He was very wealthy, very successful. He was losing his family. And the guy wanted him to meet me and wanted me to meet him. So he drives up in this Jaguar. He's very, he was a very intimidating guy when he stepped out of the Jaguar. Very intimidating. I drove up in my black minivan. Had the little black stuff in the sheen and the red carpet and the red velvet stuff on the inside. And if I turned to the right too hard, the sliding door would open. So I would just turn to the left to close it. And, you know, so I, could go, I could go on and on and on. And so he, he, he gets out of his car. I get out of my car. He looks at his Jaguar. He looks at my car. It looks like it was a drug runner's car. And I could see his mind is going, I'm going to learn something from him. He's going to give me counsel about my marriage. He just dives in. Pastor, I'm doing it all for them. I'm doing it all for them. They don't understand. I don't know why they're so mad. I don't know why they're so frustrated. I'm doing it all for them. I said, really? Well, I, I've spoken to your wife, and here's what they say. It's just so you know, in case you haven't heard them, here's what they say. They say they really like, they, they would like less of your money and more of you instead of more of your money instead of less of you. I said, Pastor, that's not true. I said, what do you mean it's not true? They love my money. They love everything I do. They love, they, they, they love all that my money brings them. They love all the great houses. They love the great trips. They love the great toys. They love the great vacations. They love it, love it, love it, love it. That, that, that is not true. They're lying to you. They love everything that my money does for them. They love it. Here's what he was saying. Unless they went on a boycott and they didn't accept anything that he gave them, he was just going to buy in and believe that he was doing it all for them. Please, please hear this. I may gauge my love for you based on how I feel in my heart for you. But you will gauge how I love you by how I give my time to you. Not based on how I feel, but what you experience in the time that I give you. I've been with many people when they have died. Many, 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 many people when they've died on their deathbed. Last breaths. I've been around the table. I've been there many times. Not once, not one single time has anyone ever said, please, could I see my financial portfolio one last time before I die? Not once have they said, can I look at my resume? Can I see my list of awards and achievements? Not once. Every single time they want to be around the people that they love and the people that love them are the people that you call your top priority getting your top time Jesus was the master of this that word master is an interesting word if you ever read the book by Malcolm, some of the Malcolm Gladwell stuff, he says if you want to master something, there's something called the 10,000-hour rule. That if you want to perfect a craft, be the best of the best, you've got to spend 10,000 hours of doing it, of intense devotion and practice, 10,000 hours. 
If you want to be world class, the best, like if you want to play guitar like Chris Bohan, if, if you want to be a, uh, an IT guy like our Joe Barrington here on staff, if you want to learn how to hit, hit a professional curveball, if you want to be a heart or brain surgeon, if you want to be the master chess player, whatever, the magic number is 10,000 hours to be the best of the best at it. Interesting, when you read the Bible, it says the disciples were with Jesus for three years. Let's be conservative and say they only worked 10 hours a day. Let's say they didn't work every day of the week. Let's say they had some little part-time off and Jesus gave them vacation time. So let's say they only worked 340 days a year on the job. So let's take three years times 341 days a year times 10 hours a day. It just so happens that comes out to 10,230 hours. Over the course of three years, they spent with Jesus. 10,000-hour rule was into effect at the very end of his life. And at the end of his life, in John chapter 13, right before he used to die, Jesus says, Hey, guys, I got one command for you. One. Just one. Just one. Love each other. What is the craft? What is the thing they wanted them to master? The best of the best to love one another. Not because you're right, not because you're smart, but because that's what Jesus did. That's what he taught. That's what he wanted us to do. So church, now it's time I need to ask you. I just got to ask you. Are the top people in your life are they your top time priority? Are they? Are they? I asked Dallas here not too long ago. I asked her, uh, I said, uh, babe, how, how am I doing? How's my work schedule right now? She said, it's not terrible. Well, at least she didn't say terrible. But that's a pretty low bar. The Bible doesn't say, this is how they'll know you're my disciples if your relationships aren't terrible. The Bible doesn't say that. So it's time for some of you to ask, are you getting enough of my time? Are you getting my best time? Scary question. Do you feel like I am a priority in your life by the time I give you? And you're going, I know it, I know it, I know it, pastor, 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 pastor. Uh, you don't understand. I got so many demands, so many expectations. Everybody wants my time. My boss wants my time. My neighbors want my time. You know, I got all these responsibilities. I have all these emails to return, all these calls, all these checks, all these honey dues, all, all these financial situations. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Let me just say this. You're always going to disappoint somebody with your time every day. Somebody will be disappointed. I'm just saying, don't make it the people you say you love the most. That's all I'm saying. Don't let them be the ones that pay the price. Do a time audit. Audit your time, just like you'd audit your finances. Really check out and see where your time is going, how much time you're spending on this little hobby. Oh, I, I only play the video game, honey, for a couple hours. <laughs> really? Let's see how true that is. Do a time audit. Hey, babe, the golf game, I, I was only there. I was only there for three, three hours. I, 
Yeah, let's do a time audit. I'll, let's look at let's get real. Then do a time budget. But the, so the reason that some of you, your finances are upside down, you don't know where your money's going. You set up a budget so you know where your money's going. Get out of fuzzy on your time. Know where your time is going. Set up a budget and put it on the calendar. Calendar. We're eating dinner as a family tonight. Everybody be there. Five o'clock. You name the time. Be there. We're doing it. We're going on vacation this week right here. Put it on your calendar. As a family, we're doing it. I'm getting off work. Put every game on your kid, your kid has on your calendar. Put it as an appointment. You're going to be there. Give them your full attention. Not on your phone. Doing emails and texts while you're watching them play. Full attention of your time. Create a budget. Don't underestimate the power of it. Here's the second one. Find quality activities to enjoy together with people that you love the most. Enjoy. Find quality activities. Jesus was the master of this. I'll look through the Gospels and all the things that he did with the disciples. There are a ton of them. Take walks with each other. He took walks with them. The very first thing when he called the disciple, he was going walking with them. When he ended his life, he walked on the road to Emmaus seven miles with two disciples. They just went for a walk. It is low cost. It is simple. Almost everyone can do it. Try it. Jesus ate together. He did it so often that he got in trouble about it. And here's what I noticed. Every time I read the scriptures, when Jesus had a meal with the disciples, there was no television or no phone. Full attention. So let me ask you, what are some barriers to quality time? Number one are screens. Is texting together side by side, is that quality time? Nope. Returning emails together on your phone, is that quality time? Nope. Is watching television together quality time? Well, it could be. If you're watching an NFL playoff game on Sunday afternoon, <laughs> the ups and downs and emotions of the game, well, of course it is. If you're watching The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, unbiblical. No. <laughs> you have to use your wisdom. You have to use discernment, okay? Learning together. Jesus was learning together with the disciples. Find a book and read it together. Resting. After a long, busy day, Jesus would sometimes say, come with me. Quiet place and let's rest. Take a nap together. Quality time. Riding in boats. They did that. Mountain climbing. They did that. Praying together. They worshiped together. They took car rides together. In Acts chapter 2, believe me, go check it out. It says they were all together in one accord. Some of you figure that out later. But here's the bottom line. What is your life? Your life is a series of shared experiences in your mind and in your heart and with another person. And intimacy is when you share quality life experiences with another person. And intimacy is when you invite them in and they accept the offer. It's not forced. It's not you will do this. You have to do this. You will like it and you will show up. A controlling nature over another person destroys the relationship. They must have the freedom to say yes and the freedom to say no. And if they don't have that freedom, there's no intimacy. But you say, hey, would you like to take a walk? 
Would you like to go share a meal? Would you like to watch this movie with me? Would you like to read this book with me? And they say, yes, you have a shared life experience and you have intimacy when you both say yes and you want to do it together. That's all intimacy is. So let me ask you, how you doing on that? How you doing on that? Here's the last one. Love learns to pay attention. Love hears and love cares. In James chapter 1, verse 19, the scripture says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Go read the Bible. Go read it. Go read it. Jesus was the master of giving someone their full attention and being totally zeroed in. Not once in the scriptures. Go read it. You can't show it to me. Where Jesus having a conversation with someone, he turns around and says, huh? What'd you say? Oh, I'm so busy. I'm, I'm sorry, honey. I didn't get that. I was so busy doing Messiah stuff. I was answering somebody's prayer. <laughs> sorry. What'd you say? He was the master of giving someone their full, undivided attention. I want to close like this. Don't you wish human beings were like cars? You know, in cars, you got this little gauge. It tells you if the tank is empty or full or it's going down. Don't you wish human beings on their little forehead had this little gauge that with their love tank is full or their love tank is empty? And you could, I know men would love it, right? You would just, be, you know, you could just see. You wouldn't have to ask any questions. You wouldn't have to be sensitive or be aware of what's going on with them. You know, you just have that little dial right there. I would tell you, it is not a design flaw. God did not create women or men that way on purpose or your kids. He wants you and me to learn to how to be aware of what somebody else is experiencing. And Jesus always was aware of what the disciples were experiencing. When they were afraid, when they were tempted, when they were confused, when they were angry, when their faith was small, when they were arguing, when they were right, he was always aware of what they were doing and he met them in that place. So how you doing on that, man? Man, some of you might need to go ask somebody. Tell me, how, how is your love tank? Just, I mean, just tell me, how, how, how am I doing on filling your love tank? Is your love tank, where is the gauge? And tell me, is it empty? Is it middle? Is it high? Just, just, and tell me why. Because I need to know. I need to learn to grow in this love. Tell me why. So I know how to love you well. Same thing with your kids. Same with the people who work for you. If you're married, being married is the hardest thing you will ever do in this life besides following Jesus because you're married to a sinful human being, another sinful human being. And we want you to blow it out of the park. So if you are married online or in the house, please become a part of a small group with some other people that are married so you can cheer and encourage and learn and grow from each other. Okay? Do that, please. And if you're single, you're welcome here, and I'm glad you're here. 
Because you need we'll get the myth of the, nowhere in the Bible does it say to only have a great life, you've got to be married. The Bible doesn't say that. You can have a great life and be single your whole life. You can. Not fall in love, but grow in love. But to do that, singles, you've got to be a part of a small group of people who are also single. So you can cheer each other and encourage and to learn to grow in love together. Just, and just to learn how to love yourself the way you are and receive what Jesus has for you in that love. Because if you don't, you're just going to go from person to person to person and they'll never feel that little love tank the way you think. Only Jesus can do that. I promise you that. I promise you that. I want to pray for you. God, we spend so much of our time arguing and fighting we spend so much of our time worrying and hurrying 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 exhausted so much to do and the people that we say that are our top priority they suffer forgive us lord Forgive us, Lord, for the days where we were just silent and don't talk to someone, holding on to bitterness or anger or rage. Just forgive us, God, about stupid little things that in the end really make no difference at all, God. Forgive our selfish ways. And just help us, God, to grow in love, to grow as a human being, to grow to be like Jesus with this agape love. Just Help us to be rooted in that, God. So we can help make the world a better place. And we ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.